Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma irradiated, sworn to protect a world that fears and hates it, and aired live-ish every week only on the non-productive network, the only place that would have it. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio by Pete, Al, and of course, our special guests, John Trumbull of Back Issue Magazine from Tomorrow's Publishing, and we are covering Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is issue four. There's uh, at least three other podcasts out there. I don't think we're doing them one at a time. Yeah. At least one episode. One well, we could we could be releasing these uh, Disney Plus style and start with issue one, <laughs> two. then yes. do issue three, then four, then two. You'll figure it out. You yeah. understand. Uh, so, yeah, of course, we're reading 1985's Crisis on Infinite Earths. We are barely a third through. Plenty of time to catch up. And for most of us, or at least in this room, Half of us, this is our first time reading the book, and the other half have, have uh, it's near and dear to their hearts. <laughs> and this is, I read it back in the day. I don't know it, it is, why you guys were all sleeping on it. But. It is actually one of my favorite DC stories that they mm-hmm. ever did. I'm not a, I'm like Pete, I'm a make mine Marvel 90% mm-hmm. of the time, but this was, man, I don't know, like something about it, like I had to go pick it up and read it, and I was just like... We need to come up with an alliteration for somebody who likes IDW, Also, that's really where... That is where my heart and soul is, my soul's IDW. I mean, but that was a big goal of this series, was they wanted to get a lot of the Marvel readers over to DC and be like, hey, DC's got some cool stuff going on, too. And they really wanted to do this with the DC's 50th anniversary happening, so... Mission accomplished. I'll be honest, uh... As a five-year-old at the time, uh, I was most most of the comics I was reading involved Superman fighting cavity creeps. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, or Mickey. I'm really upset we didn't discuss the cover of issue three. So now's as good a time as any to talk about it. Uh, oh yeah, beautiful. The cover art, George Perez's art, is really amazing. It, I love the yeah. symmetry of it. I love how it's showing how all over the world, uh, all over the worlds. Uh, and in different time periods, and, yeah, yeah, it really is a beautiful layout. I'm, I, it's probably one of my favorite. It's definitely one of my favorite covers we've gotten so far. Uh, but uh, maybe my, it's in the running for for the entire and book. A neat bit of trivia about this cover: uh, George Perez, he signed it. Guess who? In the same style that he normally signs George Perez. Oh, because. Uh, he was asked about this in an interview. They were like, why'd you sign this Guess Who? And he was like, well, it's just so many of my things. It's got like a million characters. It's got all that detail. And I just figured if, if people couldn't figure out who it was from that, that, uh, yeah. So that's just him having a little fun. Very awesome. This cover for issue four, mm-hmm. it literally leads with the spoiler. Of the major event that happens in this issue, maybe well, this was another way of them sort of tidying the 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 thing that happened at the end of issue three was just kind of like, oh, you know, he's dead already. So I think this is just you know selling comics because yeah, there, it, there's a big arrow pointing out there's a death in this issue. Yeah, um, you go with the big event of the issue. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. And it's not exactly a spoiler. I mean, several characters like the the. Harbinger, who is committing the act, has said that she's going to. Sure, but if Monitor has said she's going to do this, we've established this is an event that will occur. Right. Well, and it's it's not an uncommon thing to see somebody in mortal peril on the cover of a superhero comic. Right. So, so we have a couple of interesting pairings in this uh, first uh, in this story. Um, We have Batgirl and Supergirl. This Mm -hmm. is, I think. 
the original Supergirl, right? Yes. Yeah. This Superman's is cousin. Superman's cousin coming out to speak to Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, about the end of the world that seems to be literally on the horizon. And is this Earth 2? No, this, this is, is Earth, Earth 1. one. one. Earth yeah, one. There's That's no uh, Batgirl or Supergirl on Earth 2. Yeah. yeah. They, had, they had Power Girl and the Huntress instead. Ah. And it's an interesting crisis of faith in this first story. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> so Batgirl uh. is uh, definitely debating whether or not she's really going to do anything when, when the she, universe is coming yeah. to an end. She is just, yeah, and she's not having a good day. And uh, a very strange look on Supergirl with the whole bandana. Yeah. I was going to say, the, the, real, band. the real bravery is the bandana. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was that was supposed to be like a, a tie into her Kryptonian heritage because all the males had the headbands uh, back in the silver and, well, actually going back to the Golden Age, the Golden, Silver Age, and Bronze yeah. Age, right up until uh, John Byrne revamped the Superman mythos. That was the thing. The ladies didn't wear them, but for some reason Supergirl did. Uh, right. But it just it just gives her a cheerleader look. Yeah, it, it looks a little odd in in this, but it's yeah. it's interesting to see these two characters, the, this other side of the world's finest, come to terms with this and seeing Supergirl being hopeful, like she, yeah. not even hopeful, that's too much, um, determined. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's gonna keep fighting no matter what. Because like, um, that's what's what's what she's that's what she's meant to do. Like that's what yeah. she feels she wants to do. Yeah. She's supposed to help people. She's supposed to inspire people. Um, to backtrack a minute, like one other thing about her costume, I believe part of the reason her costume was revised was because they had the Supergirl movie in the works oh, with Helen sense. Slater. Uh, and her costume, her previous costume, that's my personal favorite one, but it was a little dated. It had the puffy sleeves and it was like the hot pants. Right. So that was designed like, I think, uh, early 70s. So it had become a little dated. So they wanted to update her a little bit and... Right so in the middle of the 80s. <laughs> this is this is what they arrived at. And uh, the Helen Slater Supergirl, she she had the skirt like this. She had the boots and the, the belt, but they didn't do the uh, little shoulder things and they didn't do the headband. Mm -hmm. So that's where that look came from. More amazing Perez art here with a little bit of um, uh, contemplative and, and morose Batgirl just unable to, to figure out what she, what she can do in the face of such, to uh, quote Theoden, reckless hate. Or whatever, it's it's an amazing part of the entire series. I think it's it grounds things in a really genuine way because you have one of the sort of street level heroes uh, just sort of sitting there like, just it's so big. How do you wrap your head around it? And I think the two characters handle it very well and converse rather well. And I love the dialogue where she's just kind of like, man, she's right. Like, all this is happening and all these people and all we can do is think about myself. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's hard not It's hard not to. How? Yeah. Like, you don't falter for it at mm -hmm. all. Yeah. But, like, you get why she's having all of this existentialism and everything about it and finding herself like, man, I, I should do something. I do, I do hate that she feels so bad. Like, I feel bad for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like don't stop beating yourself up. What what are you gonna do, really? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just like this is another, just like the other issues. This is another Spielberg moment where how do you get across the idea that this is a horrible threat to everyone? Well, have a hero be, you know, uh, depressed about it, hopeless mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. it. And then you feel like this is not just a written end of the world scenario that will wrap up at the end of the issue. This is a big deal. Uh, speaking I, of which, I we could, can yeah. I bring something up? Sure. I'm another another thing I'm confused about is I'm confused at, about the rate at which this is happening. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. 
there the the cues are very confusing. This could be yeah. either days or hours. It's very hard it's, to figure out. It's just a matter of days at this point. Actually, um, from in this issue of Amazing Heroes that I brought with me to the recording, uh, somebody went through and they figured out a whole calendar for all the dates of Crisis. So, oh, uh, interesting. Here's what they figured it out. Let's see. It started. Uh, July 11th, 1985, and it spanned to August 4th, apparently. So, only a uh, hell of a summer. It only spans, yeah, a few yeah. weeks. Yeah, but well, there are there are contradictory so. things. I mean, and this is yeah, this effort, but there are contradictory things within the book itself. It seems like the world has become aware of what's happening. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is clearly not the the antimatter like a bomb going off and it suddenly spreading. At yeah. the speed of light. No, it's it's like a wall that's spreading and slowly engulfing stuff. Yeah, that's how I read it as well. And Which does, and it makes me wonder why people are having such a hard time avoiding it. It's also confusing where it's like some elevations are being taken out first. So is this like in, in, like yeah? Sometimes around? it's coming down from the sky. Like yeah. it with we saw that with the Titans and the Outsiders last issue. It was mm. engulfing the spire of the Empire State Building. Right. And here it's like coming from the side of the city. I'm assuming it's a Gotham. What I yeah. It's impossible yeah. geometry. It's well, I actually think that what it, it is more than anything, and you can kind of make it this out in the Batgirl, Supergirl scenes. Is it's an eraser. It feels yeah, basically. Like a, which makes sense in the in the medium. Yeah. It's like as if things are being erased out. And actually, as <laughs> it's, kind of, it's the ultimate existential threat, <laughs> right? For a for, comic for people who live in a print medium, right? Ain't I a stinker? <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, that actually makes uh, odd sense in a way. Now, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the uh, callouts is the scene where a person maybe is committing suicide. Uh, it's hard to figure out what this person was doing. Oh, the person in the plane? The person in the plane that Supergirl decides or attempts, risks everything to save. Uh, he w- seems to have been heading towards the the um, the antimatter field. Uh, that's I, they, they never that's re- a dark in- interpretation. I, I just took it as somebody who was trying to get away and his plane was falling apart in the, in the storm. If he were flying in the other direction, I'd agree. And, and if he didn't say, why are you saving us? We're all doomed anyways. So like he isn't looking like he's trying mm, to escape. That's a good that? point. So I, 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 did, I didn't quite read it that way, but no, it was a, why are you, I read it as a, why are you risking your own life? Yeah. Yeah, that's. However, I think I think Frank's read is actually very valid. Yeah, and I also and, and I, might be better than ours. I mean, I I don't think that's a bad read. Uh, I just I think I disagree with it because I just don't think we would have many depictions of suicide in a 1985 comic. I'm not even sure if it's how do I put this. I don't think it's necessarily intentional. Yeah. Um, but I can but see like, why you're yeah, reading it that way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It just yeah. feel if the, it definitely the, builds you know, that feeling. Why are you saving me? We're all going to die anyway. That's a very fatalistic right. uh, line of dialogue. <laughs> but Frank, Frank's right. If, if this is a slow moving disaster mm-hmm. eraser, mm-hmm. why would the plane be flying towards it if they were trying to get away? Right. As it falls apart, he starts falling towards the anomaly, but. Uh, yeah. We don't get any straight answers, which is, I think, appropriate. Yeah, uh, yeah. and a very. I, I was just surprised, like, there's not more talk about, like, evacuating the cities or getting people out and away and at a safe distance. But Was this before that became a concern, though, as far as no, comic books? No, because they do bring it up. They bring it up at least once. They say, we're trying to evacuate. I can't remember where it was, but where are we going to put these people? It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was the Legion in the future. Yes. Okay. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, and a lot more 
uh, real estate on the page that I would have expected given the time period as you said Al like is yeah. it, were people concerned about this at this point this like there wasn't necessarily a need for realism it like it, even in infinity gauntlet and infinity war at one point like you know half the world disappears and there's never really a lot of like what are the consequences of this are there any helicopters falling into a building it's not like the movie so no. there's no, well, no reference there, there right. was like like i mean from infinity gauntlet there was that whole entire like there were a number of scenes like especially with black widow being like that, like in all that stuff in the plane that hits the ground in Infinity Gauntlet, like not in Infinity War, but Gauntlet, there was all yeah. of that stuff about. Was there in absolutely? I don't remember. Be- between both the actual miniseries, which did feature a few nods to the consequences. And all of the crossovers. The crossovers, actually, a lot of them did a very good job of I examining. feel like maybe that's what we called out specifically, that we were surprised that there were so many call-outs for it. I do remember mm. back in our Infinity, uh, or in our Thanos extravaganza, <laughs> yeah. we did all, all three, four different parts of the story we did. Uh, we did uh, Thanos Quest, yeah. Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity and War. And Crusade, that's right. Which was uh, Frank's which favorite. You should fight. Right. Don't don't ruin that. Don't don't put words in my mouth. Fight him. Um, but yeah, go find that in the in the archives. It's worth listening to. Uh, so yeah, right here we get um, a, a mixture of two characters that have no reason to have even the pay, the half. It's about a page, a page worth of dialogue. You've got John Constantine in a way no one would recognize him today. <laughs> this is this was like his second, second or yeah. third appearance. <laughs> yeah, so even his power is like I know many things. <laughs> there's no further explanation of what he knows or who he's connected to or how he knows. I mean, he knows I think things. at this point, probably all Marv Wolfman knew about him was like he's this mysterious guy in Swamp Thing, and yeah. he he wrote him he wrote John Constantine not unlike like how he was writing like say Baron Winters in Night Force or something like that he was like this this mystical guy and he's not the blue collar guy that uh that Alan Moore was writing over in Swamp Thing I mean uh yeah uh, George Perez, ma- yeah, George Perez makes him look very aristocratic and he's like a natty dresser and he's got the 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 tie pin and the the button down collar and all that and it's just you're like really that's that's John Constantine okay. I had to go over the, these panels several times trying to make well, who's sure who's who like, like yeah. did, they, did they switch the word balloons <laughs> yeah the grizzled guy is in fact uh, Steve Dayton Mento yeah Mento from the old Doom Patrol who is who is Changeling's uh, stepfather why it's such a or, it's so yeah. amazing that like these characters had any real estate at all in these stories but I applaud them that they did. I have to yeah. ask, is referring to him as the fifth uh, richest man in the world a thing? A dick. Like, like <laughs> is, that, is that like when you'd, whenever you'd hear the, uh, the shadow mention, the shadow who was in reality, uh, Lamont Cranston. Oh, is that like his official title? I don't know. I wouldn't know enough. Um, I think that was just a thing that they got from the old Doom Patrol stories okay. where he was, he, they, they said he was literally the fifth richest man in the world. So, uh, of course, this does uh, feature the reintroduction of nobody's favorite character, Pariah, <laughs> who is in He lives up to his name, doesn't he? Oh, my God. <laughs> he, Pariah is on yet another world. I think he is literally referred to as Earth-6, maybe? I think so. Uh, yeah. and it he appears is, extremely distraught that he wasn't in the last issue. Yes. <laughs> uh, He's like, I was gone and nobody missed me. Ah! Where he makes a weird claim that this, oh, this Earth is not that much of a ripoff of the other Earths. I'm like, I don't know if you have the right to say that, Pariah. That's a little, <laughs> that's a little diggy. 
Um, well, it's more futuristic, and yeah. We've got, uh, I can't even remember the names, like Lord... S- Lord Volt. Lord Volt. Who has electrical powers, and his wife... Um, Lady Quark. Lady, Lady Quark, Quark, thank you. And, and then their daughter, who has plant powers. I, who I believe... And didn't get a weird name. Didn't Liana. get a name, but is referred to, I think in comics maybe eventually, as Lady v- Vera? V- uh, Fer- like, there's some some uh, weird got me, man. plant Don't know. reference... That did not deserve. Look, she's gonna. She's dead inside of a page. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the question is, I this had, is so weird. Is are these anything? I don't think these appeared anywhere else. These characters have. Uh, this never, was their first appearance. First, yeah, appearance. And did, except for Lady Quark last. Yeah, yeah. Lady Quark. Like that. It, Lady Quark is a weird one because she she makes that like. Uh, wait, uh, she hangs around for a bit after this. Yeah. yeah, I'm just kind of weirdly confused. Was there? You would know more better than any of us. Was there a plan with her? Because think, it seems really strange for her to to be zoinked out of here and become a character. I, I think the rationale here was they probably just, I think they said to themselves, we should see an Earth that we've never seen before getting destroyed. Okay, so it's the joke we had at the start of the first, uh, the last yeah. episode we recorded, uh, the crisis on a couple of Earths. Right. This is establishing, no, there's a lot more going on, but we're not going to show you everyone. Right, right. So this is kind Jeez. of just representative of all the Earths that we haven't seen before that are getting destroyed. And also, uh, one of the things that Marv Wolfman really wanted to do with the series was introduce some new characters to the DC Universe and freshen it up, and also add a little more diversity to the DC Universe. And we see that with Lady Quirk, uh, who's a lady, mm-hmm. Um I know. With the short right. haircut. I yes. Mean, wow, she was modeled after Annie Lennox. Holy crap. Huh. Like a Eurythmics wow. era Annie wow. Lennox. Um, and then uh, we also see that with the character they're introducing next, the new Dr. Light. So mm-hmm. uh, so that that was where they were coming from there. Uh, another random thing about the lady Dr. Light. Did Monitor create her? Is that where she yeah, came from? Yeah, we're going to get into that in a minute. And okay. yes, it, it, it it's seems. complicated, yeah. Or at least he knew that the, the elements would vary. It would assemble in such a way as she would be created. Yeah. Uh, this is where Pariah does the only thing he's ever really done other than scream and cry. And whine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and whine. Uh, is briefly cosplay the specter <laughs> and yoink Lady Quark out of her dying Because this is world. a thing I could do all along, apparently. They and have chosen not to. Yes. And will never Until do again. They, as far as we know. Oh, oh, all right. So this is a, a neat little... Uh, Aside, this is basically a new yeah. superhero's origin. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we we get well. We get two. We get Lady Quark's vague as hell origin, mm-hmm. and we get uh, what will be Doctor Light in one of probably the most uh, not I don't know about offensive stereotypical. It's stereotypical in many ways. Mm. It's it's got the whole j- attempt to approximate Japanese culture. It's got the bossy scientist lady who's all business and no friends there's a lot of like weird like nobody is fun in this these tropes probably weren't as cliched at the time oh though yeah. i will say it was it wasn't yeah. yeah but i mean you you don't really like dr light very much you're not really given much reason to like her because she's just a bitch on wheels. <laughs> and Dr. Yeah. Light is a, was a villain. The last Dr. Yeah. Light we've seen, yeah. right? The original Dr. Light w- was a villain. He was yeah. a Teen Titans villain, and Marv Wolfman had made him kind of an ineffectual villain because mm-hmm. the, the thinking there was... Uh, at first, Dr. Light, his shtick was he, he went from book to book, and he fought a lot of the individual Justice Leaguers. And then somewhere along the way, people were like, oh, well, if the Atom beat him, he can't be that tough. 
So they started to play him as a as a doofus, which carries on even into like Teen Titans, the animated series. Now, yeah, Doctor Light is and, kind of a goof. and that even forward into uh, the Identity Crisis series uh. that DC did in uh, in the mid two thousands. Wow. Uh, but that's that's a whole. That's a can of worms. That's that's a big old can of worms. That's a big old can of worms. Stay tuned for uh, our our upcoming series on identity crisis. Yeah, let's not say Maybe. we did. That would be <laughs> wow. Um, on on the SNL nerds, I use uh, when I use the bell, I call it the problematic bell. Yeah, that would get a workout uh, doing identity crisis. Screw I'll just say you, that. So Dibney. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. So, speaking a little bit more lighthearted, uh, a dark, mysterious figure is plotting the death of several people yeah. in the next few <laughs> yeah. panels. Uh, we, we are still getting teasers on who the monitor, who's the villain, you know, trying who's to Who's the mystery the villain monitor. speaking in the black word balloons? And, tr- and making uh, Psycho Pirate do uh, his thing to uh, Harbinger. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, you know what? It's not even Psycho, Par- Psycho Pirate... Sorry, what wasn't the one who did that to Harbinger? It was some demon, some shadow demon. It was one of the shadow demons. It would have wow. made a lot more sense if it was somehow psycho. Because he offers, I think, at one point, just yeah. kind of like I can make her feel. Also, like... he's not doing much there other than being a person, a foil for him to speak to. The yeah. serious yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> and of course, uh, they kidnap Red Tornado for reasons that, as you do, <laughs> it's very it's, it's weird at fourth is, four issues in to get. So many characters are just like, and put this character in, and yeah. put this character in, and we have to talk to this. Let's talk to it, John Constantine for five seconds, well, even though we don't know if that's John Constantine. Wolfman still name drop Swamp Thing. Yeah, <laughs> out of the blue, literally. Yeah. Uh, I, Mark Wolfman is still like moving all the players into place at this point. I uh-huh. think so. Oh, um, it's one that, of the players he's moving into place, Riker as Val- Vandal Savage, because that's Riker as Vandal Savage. <laughs> well, this was t- still uh, a couple breaks. years before that was Star Trek The Next Generation, so wow. purely coincidental. Xanatos, you want to do a Gargoyles reference? All right. Well, hey, Disney uh, Plus. Still a Jonathan Frakes reference. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God, you're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then I forget the name of the knight. Shining Knight. Shining knight. Wow. Sir Justin. Sir I, Justin. I almost literally said I forgot the name of the knight in the Shining Armor. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Shining Knight. Yeah. So, literally Shining Knight. Yeah. His deal was he was he was frozen into ice, much like Captain America, but from King Arthur's time, and he was fought out in the 1940s. That's back uh, when we had ice that lasted, damn it. That's right. I, I like that Vandal Savage is just chilling in Camelot. Yeah, yeah. There's no. It's like, hey, I'm a super intelligent, oh, just, cave, immortal caveman. Yeah. I mean, how where, can you where not else love Vandal Savage? Yeah. Oh, Seriously. I, oh yeah. My my biggest. Uh, we're, He's we're, Kane. We're, part of the reason why we're doing Crisis of Infinite Earths, obviously, is because of the TV show that's uh, coming out or out now, depending on how time works. Uh, and one of my my worst experiences with the Arrowverse, the CW shows, is their take on Vandal Savage. It was not good. Yeah, I did not enjoy it. It was not good. Oh, God, what was it? Can I ask? Uh, Yes, I believe it was in Christ... It was in uh, Legends. Legends It was in Legends, yeah. Uh, And instead of being like, like... Eternal Caveman. He was basically a mixture of Vandal Savage, the Eternal Caveman kind of guy, and also Shadow Thief. He was he was the Egyptian villain yeah, from the Hawkman. Deeply mm. into the Hawkman, Hawkgirl uh, legacy because Hawkgirl was a character in that right. first season. They, they tied uh, Vandal Savage in with the Hawks in the comics before oh, they that. Did? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just so, did not. Like I, it. I just thought the main thing was they they just did not get the right actor to play him because he was he was not like he didn't have the charisma. He didn't. 
He the, was animated, not good. the animated series version of Vandal Savage in, uh, in Justice, League? Justice League and Justice League Unlimited was great. I he was great. That. Yeah, that was He cool. was great. Uh, Amazing, was, actually. Yeah, I yeah. really like that. That was uh, Phil Morris. Oh, really? For uh, him. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a, you know, a little snippet of what, another tower, uh, more of our heroes, some of the people who haven't showed up since the first issue or second issue, um, and more fighting the shadow demons. And I guess... You know, stakes have finally... These shadow demons, these putties, as I would have referred to them in the past, you know, uh, as these villains that don't mean anything... Yeah, um, cannon fodder. ...have a f- joined forces and are now forming a shadow creature that it seems to exist across time, space, and dimension, and is... Um, basically ready to tear the universe and fight all the heroes uh, while doing so. This is yeah. our... This almost feels like we're, we've reached climax point. We I know we quite haven't, but it it gives you the impression because at the end of the story arc, uh, despite some you know weird misleads from Doctor Light and some finding out that ja- that Superman speaks fluent Japanese and <laughs> and Katana. just didn't bother trying to stop anybody from attacking her. Yes, and Katana just being very catty about uh hello everyone forgot I speak Japanese. I'm like. You could just say, I understand what she's saying. You don't I, have to be snarky about it. I think Marv Wolfman forgot that she spoke, speaks Japanese for a couple for a couple panels there. I would 100% forgot that. Um, then he gets to that page and he's like, oh, crap, George drew a Japanese woman in here. Yeah. I should probably address that. Oh, I forgot she's there. Crap. But, uh, but no, it's fine that Superman speaks Japanese, though, because this, oh, yeah, was, still, this, this was still like Silver Bronze Age Superman who had the super brain. Yep. So he could probably speak every language. Oh, yeah. I have and, Super Rosetta Stone. And, that, yeah, and if he didn't know it, he could learn it at super speed. Is that Changeling or Beast Boy that is in that panel? That the Green right, Bird? The Green Bird. That it, he was called Changeling at this point. But, oh, oh, I mean, oh. Changeling I and Beast Boy are one and the same. I had no... If I knew that, I forgot it. Yeah. I feel like I didn't... Now he, that I'm saying it out called, loud, I knew he it. He was called Beast Boy in the Silver Age. When they did the new Teen Titans, he changed his code name to Changeling. And then when they did the, the Titans cartoon... Uh, he went back to Beast Boy. He, w- he went back to Beast Boy because wow. I guess they figured kids would understand that name better. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. They, they tried to age up most of the Teen Titans there and drop the boy. Well, he was like 16 at the, yeah. at the time. So, so he, he was he was a bit younger because they were playing most of the other Titans as 18 or 19. So yeah. they were just barely teens. But still, he wouldn't want to be called boy anymore. That's so. fair. That makes sense. So yeah. we do like get... A- Aqualad wanted to be Tempest and... <laughs> We get yeah. we get v- the, all the briefest uh, moments in Themyscira with Wonder Woman kind of dealing with her mom and the issues there, but the 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 story wraps up with everyone's least favorite character, Mariah, <laughs> and the oh, monitor. He's such a punching bag. He really is. He really is like the the what what did you call him? The oh god, I forgot his name. The Marvel character, Adam Warlock. Uh, yeah, Adam, Adam Warlock. Warlock of this. He's a sad sack, ma- ma- Adam Warlock. Well, Adam a, Warlock's kind of a sad sack, isn't he? Yeah, but he also succeeds in everything. <laughs> yeah, he's he does everything amazingly well, and he's everybody's just in awe of him. He's just really sad that he has to do it. This guy is just miserable, and people are either frightened of him, accuse him of being evil, or just ignore him as he disappears. Yeah. Which is the right right way to deal with Ryan. <laughs> yeah. It's the right way to deal with Adam Warlock, too. Yes. Yeah. Just right ignore right. him until I've, he disappears. I've led most of my life ignoring Adam Warlock. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the way most of us should live. <laughs> yeah. Wow, a lot of Adam Do not Warlock speak came. ill of him. <laughs> Ugh. 
<laughs> so yeah, we 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 basically have um, Monitor and Pariah kind of talking about. Well, the Monitor confesses that he's the reason Pariah is yep. being tortured. That I yeah. was. A or, or he's surprised. the reason that Pariah lived anyway. Yes. Yeah. He's experienced the torture of living. Yeah. Uh, but and the unspoken thing is, I'm sorry if this has inconvenienced you personally, but you, you're instrumental in saving the damn universe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I, I just had a thought, if Pariah and the Silver Surfer met, which one do you think would whine more? Oh man, I I think it's Pariah. Yeah. The yeah. Silver Surfer has some things he has done other. Uh-huh. Than wine, Pariah mm. has only wine. Even in the one act he did, which w- might be considered other, which right. would be saving, saving la- yeah. Lady Quark. Uh, oh God, I'm sorry. I like, have to try I and save to, myself a it, little bit. Yeah, literally. It was like this will yeah. this will ease my suffering a bit. That's how he framed it. <laughs> Screw him. If, if Pariah had a surfboard, would you like him better? No. <laughs> If he would, if he was heading the other direction, maybe. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Does he liquid metal morph into the surfboard? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I'm with Frank on this. Like, Silver Surfer has at least done other things. Has yeah. at least like had behind with other writers behind him. Mm-hmm. He right. has been more than that than that. Right. Imagine yeah. if Pariah was a feature. Imagine if there was like a there was a weekly or a monthly that was Pariah. Every issue was another dead universe. And him just witnessing it like the Crypt Keeper or like the Watcher for Marvel. He could have been like a big hit in the Vertigo era. Oh my you know? God, you're right. It, like, I mean, when everything was all goth and every and emo oh. and stuff, they could have done a Vertigo Pariah book. Oh, wow. Man. Death is... Oh, my, he's being ghosted by death. Get, That's what's happening Get right some now. British writer writing Pariah. And yeah, All right, they Gaiman. really they missed an opportunity there. Uh, yeah. Neil Gaiman, we know you listen to this I podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would almost rather watch a uh, or read a Pariah uh, daily strip in the news, daily newspaper strip. Him, him, and his his frustrated cat Garfield. <laughs> he, he'd be like a slightly older skewing Ziggy. Oh, <laughs> oh. yes, he has a Ziggy energy. You're right. Yeah. Why am I doomed to? <laughs> Right, this is to awful. witness the destruction of the universe over and over again. Uh, that was an actual panel from Ziggy, probably. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this does after they they have their moment of further whining. Uh, Harbinger finally makes do on the cliffhanger from two issues ago. Yeah, <laughs> and kills the monitor. Oh yes. lord! And we have a weird weird draw in. I mean, I do not. I love Perez's art, but this, this, by the way, is a full twenty-two pages since she threatened him at the end of issue three. The the, the slow zoom in uh-huh. to Pariah from behind as he turns, and there's a tear uh-huh. going down his eyes, yeah. uh, and his mouth opens up in a reaction no human just, has really had, in and then just sort of screams as the world. I've seen died. the end of everything, the end of all hope. It's, it's described as crying. Yeah, I, I am. I am literally just. This is not wailing. a scream. He's like, <laughs> you, just, you just know Pariah is about to write some bad poetry. Oh yeah, he's a, he's like seconds away from pulling out a notebook and just scribbling his thoughts. At this if point, this I hope all Earth you know, die. Just can so I borrow a feeling by Pariah? <laughs> if, this, if only this notebook and pen weren't about to cease existing. <laughs> if only my pen. Poet. If only my pen could could cry the way I am crying. And he's he's gonna if the world kept existing for another hour or two, he would find an open mic somewhere and just <laughs> yeah. read his bad poetry. I wanna apologize for people listening to the podcast who've heard the mics just like 
pin out for the last couple of minutes because we are very angry. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so this actually, although, you know, making fun of Pariah aside. He's so much fun to mock. Yes, this is the end of, uh, it looks like the end of Earth yeah, 1 It looks like two. they lose. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the, old, the end of Earth One, Earth Two, Earth, yes, <laughs> like all sorts of Earths, etc. Yeah, uh, we only enumerate time. Earth One and Earth and, Two, and it's yeah. great that we mentioned it. Like it looks like this is it. Like we're hitting the climax, and things are ramping up, and then it looks like the loss. It looks like this is where everything kind of kicks it. Yeah, um, I really like the idea of that. And again, we know this is twelve issues. We know like this is we got a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. But right. this feel this felt like a climax. Yeah. Yeah. Really, and tying it in with the death of the monitor, I think is a good idea, yeah. and I think it does work. Uh, but I'm I'm very curious what now that we're we're effectively I think out of the preamble the, yeah. the act mm. one. Yeah, I uh, would say this is the end of act one. Uh, personally, I'm very curious to see where the story goes. Uh, again, even knowing what the dr- broad strokes are. Another interesting thing I have a question I have, and maybe John can shed some uh, light on this is. How much the average reader would have been aware that this was a 12-issue limited series at the time? Mm, If they had any reading comprehension, all of them, because it was labeled a 12-issue maxi-series on the cover. There we go. Easy enough. (laughs) That that wording is not reproduced in the... Trade paperback no, I'm no, reading, they, they, which is why they my reproduced confusion. the covers without the uh, trade dress, but yeah. there was a band on the top, not unlike the, uh, you know, what they had that said Marvel Comics yeah. Group mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. But it would say like a twelve issue. Yeah, uh, I just was I wasn't sure that it existed, yeah. so, so everybody would have known that. Oh, good. So let's close out that first act. Uh, uh, strong points, highlights, anything that we want to call out that we maybe have it. I think we went through this one uh, a little closer than the last. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like despite the fact that we've lost less worlds in yeah. this one, we didn't lose Wild West World and we didn't lose uh, uh, World War II World, but um, I still feel like the stakes are higher here overall. My takeaway is I'm happy we got all the little shout-outs to Swamp Thing. I don't think it's we one need... thought balloon. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm legitimately happy. I mean, that, okay. as a reader at the time, I'd be like, "Oh, cool! This is something I know. This is yeah. something I know. This really is spanning everything." Uh, I, I do feel like we've reached the end of that. Uh, not too many more cameos, which is kind of what I'm afraid of for the CW version, where we keep talking about these major casting recalls. Is is uh, Kevin Conroy going to be like? Walking in, giving so many directions, and handing them a coffee, and then leaving. <laughs> I, I will. I will say, Kevin Conroy's got to have more than than just a quick bit to do because he was shooting for at least a few days. I met him yeah. oh, at cool. n- at New York Comic Con this year. He was right smack dab in the middle of shooting that at the time. Um, he will have a beard. Oh. Because I, I commented on that. That was my first. I was like, Kevin, you got a beard. Do you have that for any sort of project right now? And he was like, yeah, I'm actually in the middle of shooting it. And he was flying back to Vancouver to finish shooting oh, nice. the show. So hopefully he will be in at least a couple scenes, if not a couple episodes. I have a feeling that like Burt Ward is just going to be a quick cameo. Say, Burt Ward, I believe, is walking his dog and getting a coffee. I could totally yeah. see that. And just in the colors. Because, I mean, how right. much... How I hope he's gonna... in the, the Robin costume, walking his dog and getting I mean, a He's coffee. in a red sweater. He's oh. in, like, 
coded colors for yeah. that for the costume, so which I'm fine with. I'm fine. It's with a, it's a, a very Dick Grayson sweater. So, right. but uh, yeah, w- that's a little bit like I, I'm I'm okay. I'm satisfied in this comic. I don't need that's to fine. see too many more of those. Yeah. Um, how about any of you? Which do you have any particular collabs you want to make? Um, I still love the uh, the first scene. It's, one of, it's the reason why it's one of my favorite issues out of the series. It's just that uh-huh. that opening scene with uh, Batgirl and Supergirl. I just think like. It's one of the it's one of the best moments out of the series. I really think so. I really you like, like the it. characterization of it. Yeah, I really like it a lot. Um, yeah. I'm not so I I do like the stakes of the saving the guy from the plane and whatnot. But something about just those two having that interaction just re- really resonated with me before. It still resonates now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very frustrated with uh, with what we've gotten of Wonder Woman so far. That's fair. I mean, it seems like really, hardly any. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems really self centered and you know. I I question how long, how much time she would spend trying to convince the uh, the Amazonians to to help without her helping herself. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like, I, okay, screw this. This is a lost cause. I'm getting out of here. Fair, fair. And that's not even where they lead it. She's just whining about her uh, relationship with her mother. I, uh, at this point, it seems like it's just like uh, we got to address Wonder Woman because she's here and people will wonder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Trumbull? Anything? Um, I think uh, just responding to what you just said about one, I think it was maybe she, she was a, a, a character who was like maybe a little bit in flux because I know her book came to an end right around the end of Crisis too, and they were getting ready to revamp her, and it actually would end up being George Perez who ended up revamping her. Um, is this the Powerless Wonder Woman revamp, or is this a different one? No, this no, is, yeah, that, was, that was in the '60s. That was okay. like when Emma Peel was a thing. Yeah. Uh, so this this was just. Uh, this was like the mid-80s revamp when George Barris first took her over and he gotcha. paid a little more attention to Greek mythology. Um, but I, I think it's neat that like we're getting some new characters in there with Lady Quirk and Dr. Light. I'm not in love with either one of them yet at this point. Uh, but it's also nice we get some exposition from the monitor and we find out a little more what's going on. We don't still entirely know what's going on, but we have a vague idea so yeah, I yeah I agree. I like to see the monitor playing the mad, uh, the mad thinker sort of. The, the, mm-hmm. I'm I'm three steps ahead. I'm playing three dimensional chess. Yeah, I know this is all coming to a head. And we'll get some more exposition in the next issue. So, mm-hmm. and you'll get some more exposition in the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Near Mint, please like, follow, and subscribe so you can get the latest in the podcatcher of your choice. Oh, and leave us a good review so more people find out about the show. Tune in next week as we go into episode five of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Good night, everybody. Bye. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.